We could keep going with that. It's a pretty dandy track, but here we are. Born to be wild. Born to be wild. Because there's a real good like part in there where it's like it really, it really gets spaced out and kind of like draws you in. And then, yeah, it's a yeah. good one. You know, I like that. Magic Carpet Ride's a good song by them too. I like That's that true. One. Steppenwolf, right? Yes, bro. Yes. Uh, okay, so here we are. Turn the sign on. It's episode number seventy-two. Cowboy shit with Ted and Wacy. He's Ted. No, wait. Oh, you're Ted. <laughs> I'm Ted. No, wait. You're he's Ted. Wacy. Yeah. I'm Ted Sovin. He's Wacy Anderson. He's from the downtown division. We're the Northwest. We're in Calgary, it's Alberta. Windy. Yeah. We had a. We were having a nice evening out back. Nice warm evening watching some hockey. The Islanders and the uh, Flyers. Who who won that game? Four rep for the Islanders. Ooh, They're a good team, man. Dan Gray Trotch is a great coach. Felisco is going to be pumped. That's they're a scary looking team. Dang. That Barzell is a dynamic player. Dang. So hockey, uh, we're pretty far into hockey. Things are going pretty good. Second round of the actual playoffs. Yep. And it's kind of like it's motoring along because these rounds are only like what, like twelve days, mm-hmm. where usually they would be. I a think the longer, last bit here is spaced out a bit more, though. I think. Oh really? Because the final isn't until like end of September. It's supposed. To, well, I guess, but even end of September is only like five weeks from now. So oh, shit, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like it's Jesus. not very far off. But this one we done by like this one is like done by like the first week. Of September. It'll be next week, yeah. Yeah, it's only like twelve days. Yeah, and then the next week, even if it's two weeks and two weeks, we're only like f- like five and a half. The latest thing can go done. is the eighth of October. Yeah, or fifth so of October. It's probably even going to be quicker than that because the, the draft is in October, mm-hmm. and then like free agency starts the f- sometimes in October as well. But yeah, it's older than three, man. It's crazy how fast it's going. Oh yeah, they've done a really good job hockey of like maintaining, like managing their bubble and like making oh, sure everyone's yeah. healthy and. Been impressive. They released another stat. It's like they did another four thousand tests over the last two weeks, and still like no, still positive. no positive. Yeah, which kind of cool. But why is the city of Edmonton all of a sudden getting more cases? I don't know why that. Well, is. those guys aren't in, in like mingling with the city, right? I know, but I'm just, I'm just like, uh, I think because more well, wondering. I think we're finally getting more summer weather in Alberta specifically, so more people yeah. are out, and Doing I think things. a lot of people are starting to lax on the. Rules on the rules put in yeah, place fair like you see a lot of people but the push. hospitalizations are still down overall sure. well so, i think I mean, well the majority like 80 percent or over 80 percent of cases are not like they're just mild right they don't even cause any issues there's a lot of chances and like i think another high percentage of them are asymptomatic it just it's just the older people once they catch it that's when back. shit goes sideways right yeah um I don't but, want to talk about COVID right now, so... Everything's about COVID, dude. Moving on. Yeah. We need to talk about something we're having a, a conversation about before well, we Well, before we, we do that, we should talk about news where the NFR is possibly moving oh. Las Vegas. That's kind of probably what we should Hell lead yeah. with. It's about this. If you're talking about news and we're a podcast, we should talk about, you know... We should talk about news. So the NFR... This other stuff is news. We'll get to that. We'll probably do that in the second <laughs> half. Anyways, <laughs> appreciate you taking the initiative. It's great. Uh, but the NFR possibly leaving Las Vegas... They want to do it with fans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a fan option in Las Vegas at this point, so which makes sense given 
yeah, how I things mean, have been going in Vegas. Correct. Or and in the U.S. in, in the general. U.S. In the, but, but what the PRCA wants to do is have a NFR with fans. And I think it's kind of irresponsible at this point. Honestly, I yeah. mean, if we want to be want to get real here i i don't think that <laughs> i don't think any big event like that should be happening no, right you, now we don't really at, have anything like the biggest event we've had in canada so far is maybe like what are we allowed like 150 people still mm-hmm. like it's still been very small and no and the one big event that happened was a big funeral that happened and there was like i don't know how many people there mm-hmm. but that caused a huge outbreak. outbreak for sure well you even see like the the cargill plant outbreak we had yeah exactly that was all people working bat. together yeah so i mean yeah i don't know i don't think it's I think a good way to go to put it that it's irresponsible of yeah. them. Cause I but think they want to do it because they have to, how are the, how else are they going to generate $10 million to have yeah, the road? Obviously can't for sure. I don't think you can get how many, how many, what would that cost if you had like to try and live stream it? Like, even if it was like, well, I don't know. You're not going to make it back on, on, on TV revenue, TV no or chance. live Especially streaming. Especially now that's not on a national network. Yeah, exactly. National There's, sports network. Yeah, there you, you lose, go. You lose a lot right there. So. You lose most of your money because you're not on a national network. Yeah. So I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, another great move. If I was them, I'd be looking at more of the fanless option. I think, especially that they if, should if, be. if they're getting pitched to you by like South Point, like they're saying, like with a fanless option, but still, like they got to be able to create revenue. Like you're not gonna have a ten million dollar NFR no. without a trade show. Without like they're gonna have to sell a lot of Wrangler jeans. To be able to p- put all the money they put into the finals, you're gonna have to have without, mm. without the trade show, without the without people in the seats. Like that's seventeen thousand tickets a night for mm-hmm. ten nights. It's one hundred seventy thousand tickets. That's a ton of revenue. Yeah, ten, but, like, how, ten million how, bucks. In this, like, in this stage of it, how do you make that up, though? I mean, I think they have to cut back. They're probably gonna have to cut it back in some capacity, unless they do it this way. I know that they want to do it this way, mm. but I don't know how else that you. I don't know how else to make it work. Like everything up here has been canceled because it doesn't feasibly make work. No, it doesn't make it doesn't sense. Feasib- it doesn't, it's not feasible. So No, and it's not safe. No, exactly. That too. So, Because cool, we talked about like this afternoon on the phone, like your dad's one of those people who goes to... Yeah, my dad's like turned 77 in October yeah. and he'd be, you know, has been to the finals for probably like eight of the last 10 years. Yeah, and see. He, I don't, I would not want him to go to an NFR this year, no matter where it was. I think if you look at like the rodeo fan demographic, it's an older crowd. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially at that level too, like the older and the people crowd, that have the money to buy the tickets to go there. That's what I mean. Yeah, they're definitely an older crowd. So I, I, mean, you put I don't a lot know. Of people at risk by having a big event. It's yeah, yeah. Well, even, even like if they are kind of socially distanced. How are you going to do it in a trade show when every people are back and forth and buying stuff all the time? Like, well, look I at don't like know. the Stampede man. That should be the standard for the industry. It's like the biggest rodeo in the world. Mm-hmm. And they made the the call to not have it. Yeah, you know, like I don't know. I to me, it doesn't make. It's any It's gonna sense. be tough to have it socially distanced and have a finals, but maybe there's a way to do it somehow. But I don't know how you do it in December at a building. Like if you do it at the Lazy E, I don't know what you can put in there for people. Yeah, I mean, when people aren't gonna listen anyways, know. people down there don't don't yeah. care anyways. It's That's already the problem. disaster. Yeah, sorry America, sorry Americans, but, but it's true. They they are being irresponsible about a lot. World of it. leaders in COVID yeah. cases. Yeah, so I think I don't know, man. I think they like gotta have they take a step back and kind of reevaluate. I think you're right. But and how about like how about it's the NFR and it's like a hundred days away, and they're like, yeah, check take our uh, fan uh, experience uh, survey and check us out. Tell us how to like you know tell Thank us you. where we should put the NFR because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. So <laughs> so 
here's a survey. Tell us what we should do because we don't know. Well, I think like they can is even it, look is at... The, is the shopping experience important to you? Yeah. Are the buckle presentations important to you? Well, of course. Even if there's a finals, but it's about fucking life and death at work right now. Well, like, that's what I mean. Like, if you look on. at the overall fan experience, like in a normal time, that stuff is important. Yeah, but but right, right now, now, is it? No. 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 It might so. be for somebody's pocketbook, but, but like, yeah. let's get real here. This is... I mean, an alternative, <laughs> if they're really hell-bent on having it with fans, is have it outside somewhere. In December. Yeah. But like... No. <laughs> but like in like Oklahoma or Texas, can you have it outside somewhere? Mm, it'd be pretty cold. I don't. I don't know. I, I, I don't just know. like trying to think of like if they're. I've hell- seen snow in Texas in January. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen. Yeah. Well, any, any even get, in Vegas, it gets cold get sometimes. Snow and they shut the whole. Yeah. Cut, they don't even have down. snow plows. <laughs> it is a disaster driving in there. I remember one year at college, we had probably less than a centimeter of snow, and they canceled class for the day. No, for, for sure. Yeah. There's yeah. The, and it was. I was like end of the world. And we were like me and my other buddy here, Canadian, were outside. In our t-shirts, throwing snowballs at each other. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know, man. It's it's gonna be confusing, and it kind of like it ties into like what does that look like moving into next year for like rodeo and even oh, up yeah. here. Like, what's it? What's oh, yeah. it gonna happen? We're gonna be close to a year in this pretty quickly, and yeah, I think the Houston's and the Houston has a big enough arena they could probably get by with. You know, they probably still have twenty thousand people in there, and have a little bit of revenue. And even mm-hmm. I've heard that the Stampede is possibly looking at a fifty percent capacity. Uh, for 2021 uh, yeah some of these places are going to look different next year san antonio's in february fort worth is in january i know they're in texas where nobody you know where but uh, and we have t- listeners in texas but the, apparently you know i don't know i don't know what i don't know what it's like i haven't been there yeah i'm for not sure, sure what it's, it's easy actually to sit like here and say that too you for know sure, but yeah. um i'm not sure i mean and, I, and there's states like south dakota that are staying open and they're protecting the people that are vulnerable so you know, it's been okay in South Dakota. And I mean, and I mean, maybe over okay the winter time, like some strategies get developed, like other maybe. places to like make it safer for everybody, like yeah. kind of open things up a bit more, wide sure. open. But we'll know more about this. Maybe a vaccine comes into play. Like I don't know. There's a lot of things that can happen. Still. A lot of so factors. We got to cut everybody it's some it's slack a, here. It's uncertain for sure, but I mean, it kind of like makes well, it should like even like up here, like what's the CFR going to look like? Is is it if we don't have another any like a full spring of rodeos or a half season of rodeos, is it feasible to have a CFR again? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, depends if you can have enough people to buy tickets to go to. That's it. what's the thing. We're so it's so right. like it's so ticket driven and like butts and seats driven. Like you're gonna, it's you have to have like some kind of strategy going into it. Yeah, but it's kind of. We'll see what it's happens. A weird time, man. I think I think they could. It's the NFR is one rodeo I've thought about for a long time. In all this, that I thought is one that could work. There's enough people that want to watch it that they would go out of their way and pay. Like I would pay a hundred bucks to watch it for. 10 days knowing that that's the only way I'm going to be able to watch it. Like I would actually pay mm-hmm. the notes NFR. There should be some Canadian content there. It's NFR. Like I would actually pay to watch it. Mm-hmm. Right. PBR world Finals, Same thing. Like I would pay to watch that, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of folks that would be in the same boat. So mm-hmm. I, th- I, I've, I've thought for a long time that they could actually make, make it work, but I don't know if there's enough people to make, make it fly. Like, I don't know what the price would have to be, but if you did a hundred bucks by, I don't know what a hundred bucks by 10,000 people, it, well, it'd be more. If they, they're gonna probably have a hundred thousand paying people to watch that, I would think. Probably between Canada and the U.S. and all the rest of the world, for sure. I gotta do ma- quick some quick, quick maths here. Keep keep going. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I couldn't like. Wouldn't they be able to look at kind of what the PBR did with their team match in Vegas? I know it's like different. Like you say, the revenue driven part of it, but hmm. I mean, as a model to go off of, like with a fanless experience, like could you come up with something? For the PBR World Finals? No, no, even for the NFR too. Like, I'd like to have for it at some point. Thing? Like, not a team. Like, just like like they're the way they delivered oh. it to fans. Oh, yeah. Like they would have to do it that way. Yeah. And and so to me, that makes the most sense. A hundred thousand people paying a hundred bucks is ten million bucks. So 
I don't know if they would have a hundred thousand that would pay to watch that would pay a hundred dollars to watch. I don't know if there are a hundred thousand rodeo fans. There's enough people that pay that in Vegas, but there's a lot of spillover that's the same people for those mm. ten nights. So, but but I mean, I don't know. But yeah. that's ten million dollars in revenue, so that covers it's your the pay, hardest your, part with that is sort of production costs and everything on top of that. Yeah, and it's only the prize money. You'd have to make the experience better than what the fans had with like pro rodeo TV and all that kind of stuff too. Well, right? the, the Cowboy Channel is like. I'm sorry for anyone that works there that's maybe listening, but it a lot of it is kind of a joke right now mm-hmm. to just be streaming on TV or in arena feed. That's what I mean. Like, it's, it's not like, a TV production. If I'm paying like pay hundred bucks to watch, a, it's better be a. It's it's like one step above Facebook living the event, and like, that's why they so, made all the rules so you can't Facebook live on your event because it's on the Catboy channel. Well, for an example though, to buy <laughs> NHL Center Ice for the season is two hundred and seventy-five dollars. Yeah, and you get like what a thousand games or. 15,000 games. In HD. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and so, it's actual pretty TV quality I mean. stuff. It's not like yeah. an arena feed with a shitty camera. So if I'm going to be paying 100 bucks for 10 days, I better be getting a high-quality product. Yeah. Because I don't... Didn't true. they... Tr- wasn't like the Pro Rodeo TV like a $75 subscription for the year? Yeah, yeah. Or I, like... Yeah, and you got the NFR in that or whatever. Yeah, and like it, people had so many problems with the stream. Like it was always Never down. Worked. So yeah. I mean... They have, have to, they have they to, have to it deliver right. it in a in a way that fans can experience it. Properly. I don't know if there are a hundred thousand rodeo fans though that would actually pay a hundred dollars to watch the NFR. I wouldn't pay for I'd it. I'd be curious if there's actually that many. I bet you. I'd be curious. I would be. Well, I would think there'd probably be more actually that would pay a hundred bucks. Probably more like ten thousand. I'd say yeah. That's I'd say like a million. I'd say bucks. half would be more of like the ceiling of it, like fifty thousand. Fifty thousand maybe. I'm curious. Like I know to there's me, a lot that's of people the high that are, end of it. There's a lot of people that are casual fans, but another another. It'd be a real true test to see how many people actually paid yeah. to watch it. You'd know what your ro- true rodeo fans are. For sure. Although you still have the subscribers on your RFDs and and well, that's, that's the hard. Another thing I was gonna them. say too is like if you already have the Cowboy Channel, then you're already getting it yeah, as part of your pay. package. Yeah. And how many box. of those people are in there? Now I'd say like that'd be know. over forty percent of your fan base of yeah. that's following on TV. Because there for sure aren't fifty thousand people in Canada. They're gonna pay to watch no. the CFR, and especially now that their Canada has access to the Cowboy Channel. Yeah, it's a whole other game for us because now. Yeah. So maybe they've maybe they've screwed themselves by taking the million bucks from the Cowboy Channel. Now the Cowboy Channel owns it, mm-hmm. and they just shot themselves in the foot. So it's not an option. So at one point, our only fans. option in Canada to watch was the live stream, or yeah. if you had an American American dish. dish yeah. So that, man, tough to say. They might they really might have hosed themselves by selling <laughs> off their rights because they if they wouldn't have sold them, they could have had a, they could have had the chance to at least re- recoup some revenue here. But now they gave it all. They basically gave it all for, I think, I don't know what it would cost, but I think it was a million bucks or something for the NFR yeah. rights for a year or two. So they, they sold their stuff. tough. One, you lose the so national this year, network. Pretty Whereas short. That, that's where the PBR's advantage is they have the CBS Sportsnet yeah. network backing them and they can deliver a high quality product. It's in every sports bar that you yeah. walk in. You get an extra probably 50 million people mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough of that. That was 15 minutes of giving shit to the PRCA. But uh, well earned. You got to give them some shit sometimes. So. Thanks for listening. Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacey. This is episode number 72. We'll be back with our interview after this.
Well, welcome back. It's episode number 72. This is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. Our guest today is a three-time CFR qualifier, twice been to the Wrangler NFR. Kagan Syrett here on the phone from MNP and uh, Lloyd Minster. How's it going today, Kagan? Good. Good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're doing good. Uh, Wacy and I are both in Kelowna, but other sides of town, so we're kind of enjoying some bit more summer before the before things wrap up here. we got to get back to... We've got to go back to school, and hopefully we got some more events and whatnot. We can get kind of get back to work. Right on. You betcha. So we, uh, you and I, chatted a bit yesterday, and kind of, kind of had a made a bit of a plan on what we wanted to talk about. A few, a few things, and it'll probably all go out the window. But let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, what do you? Where do you want to start, Wacey? Why don't you uh, throw us a curveball and see where you want to start us off today? Ah. Well, like we kind of t- tend not talking it off the record there. Kind of maybe give us a bit of background on kind of where you grew up and how you get started rodeo and stuff. I know a lot of people, for sure. I know for myself, I don't really know that side of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I grew up on a farm uh, south of Lloyd Minster, uh, Paradise Valley area, till I was about 12 years old. And my dad uh, decided to change careers. He went into the ministry to Empress, which is his north of Medicine Hat. And uh, I was primarily into ball and hockey as a kid. And then when we moved to Empress, there wasn't much for organized there. And buddies I sort of associated with school and that kind of thing were into rodeos. That's where I kind of got introduced to rodeo. And I wanted to be a team roper, but we didn't have horses and trailers and all that stuff. So got into steer riding and fell in love with it and it went from there. And you ended up getting into, uh, I, I got your bio from the media guides back in the day, and you were the uh, CCA CCA champ in 97, uh, Alberta Circuit champ 99, season leader in 01, uh, and the NMAX Pro Rodeo Power Circuit back in 01 too. What was that? What was that NMAX tour? Was that like an Alberta tour? I think I can't remember, but I forget. Yeah, it was. I think it was basically the, the Alberta Circuit primarily is what it was. Okay. Sponsored a bunch of Alberta rodeos. Yeah. So in '96, you were uh, you're you're only gonna be 17. So you won the C- CCA when you were 17 or 16, even. Yeah, I think I was 16 even, and uh, yeah, I had a lot of good memories. Amateur rodeoing, but CCA was primarily a Saskatchewan circuit, Southern Saskatchewan, bit into Alberta, but but uh, lots of good times. Uh, lots of those same guys. Sort of, we grew up together doing that, and then on to pro rodeo. We were 18, so lots of good memories there for sure. So it says in 2001, your best win was in Calgary for 11,000. Uh, that must have been mm-hmm. placing pretty high up. You didn't? Did you win? I don't. Well, oh, one was your Schiffner won it, so you uh, you uh, were would have placed pretty deep in the in the event, and then that counted to the NFR at the time too. Helped you get that there as well. Yeah, I, th- I think in 01, yeah, I think I won the average, so I went into the into Sunday first and then I didn't have much of a draw on Sunday in the top 10 but uh, so I didn't get to the final four but uh, yeah that was a good rodeo again helped sort of qualify for the finals our NFR that year talk about like the decision to head down south to go start going to some of those like pro rodeos in the states I know a lot of guys from up here kind of block at it and tend to stay home nowadays but uh, talk about that decision to head south of the border yeah, I uh, I grew up watching the NFR and and uh, I, uh, rodeo was kind of what I enjoyed. I did go to some bull riding. PBR was just sort of getting rolling then, but I enjoyed going to the rodeos and 
and uh, I don't know. I just I wanted to make the NFR and see what that was all about. So I uh, started going to school there when I was 19, and Tom and I pulled our pro cards and started to go on, going to rodeos there. And I don't know when I was team my rookie year that I think finished something like 30th or something in the standings. Mostly going to Canadian rodeos, go to some in the states, and uh, yeah, and then just continue doing that while I was going to school. Um, try to get all, all the big rodeos in the U.S. and then come back to Canada and hit the, you know, 20 or 25 better rodeos up here at the same time. Try to hit, try to make both finals. Good. And you went to where else did you? Yeah, yeah went to school at MSU time. in uh, in Bozeman and started off in Pendleton. Pendleton for your first year, then you went to MSU. In, in Bozeman, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. I always wanted to go to Bozeman, and uh, that was my school of choice, and they didn't have any room for me the first year. So I went to Pendleton, and then I phoned John Laird second year. They made a spot for me, so I transferred my credits to Bozeman and went there. I, I knew it was a good school. Robert had gone there, and he had good things to say about it, and, and it was uh, reasonably close to home. And I knew I could get, if I was going to spend some time going to school, I might as well get a decent degree and they had a pretty good program there so but yeah i i enjoyed my time there too lots of good memories going to school there and and uh trying to yeah make the finals and represent the school well there the one year i made the cfr nfr and the and the college finals and then at the college finals you finished second yeah it was uh um the competition isn't extremely tough at those it's more about the draw but but yeah, it would have been fun to win it just to say you did. But uh, you know, my focus was primarily on going to pro rodeos at that time. I think the the finals were on right around the same time the Copenhagen Cup was, and that was the first year of that. I guess as well. But who uh, who did win the college finals that year? Well, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if it was Jesse Bale, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to, I want to get further along in your career and, and bring us to where you are now, but let's talk about some of those, some of those rodeo stories right now and kind of where, uh, where things went and some of the fun stories. But, but, uh, one that I found that I was, when I was doing some research was, uh, a wreck you had in Reno in 2000 or 2001. I forget now. I have to go look back at it here, but, but you got, uh, did you get stepped on? Real bad, right in the yeah. head, or what? What exactly happened that day? But you, were, like, you were in a bad, bad way there for a while. I got mucked out pretty good. The, I got on a bull of bluegrass of um, Sonny Riley, and uh, um, he just—he was a bit of an eliminator. Had a bit of a uh, hop and skip, and he wasn't overly rank, but um, had a habit of getting guys' feet. And he pulled me down over the front and threw his head back and hit me with the blunt end of his horn right in the forehead and concern like with the skull bone membrane that holds your the fluid around your brain in and so they kept me for a while probably out of an abundance of caution but yeah i got to yeah it was it wasn't uh it was a little rough you know after the rodeo in reno everybody left so i was there by myself uh, a bit lonely at the hospital but i spent 10 days there and and then uh Calgary is right after Reno, so I wanted to ride at Calgary pretty bad. So it was only 17 days after that I got on at Calgary. Uh, probably in hindsight, you know, with the knowledge we have about concussions now, pretty 
pretty bad choice, but well, you, know, you weren't thinking about it then. All you were looking at was the standings and trying to maintain your position or improve it. So, uh, did you do well at Calgary that year? Like following it, that'd be tough to kind of like beat that mental block in your brain of <laughs> coming back from injury like that. Yeah, it, it it was a bit of a challenge, and I didn't draw so good either. The first bull I got on was a bull called Little Mischief out of Tahana, and he had a tendency for whipping guys down and smashing them in the face too. So I wasn't super excited about getting on him, but I got on him, and and he bucked me off. I don't know, four seconds or something. But uh, the second bull I got on, I did ride ballistic. Didn't get a great score, but felt good to get one under the belt sort of head into the summer run. But part of that story too was that you got off one of those bulls, and then you you threw up like you were, and you got the spins like you were still dizzy, like you were very fully still into the post concussion syndrome as we know of now. But but that was yeah yeah yeah. Like I said, I mean, I look back at that and and uh, I got a poster in my office right here of Curtis Anderson, and you know we were just talking about it the other day. He was sort of stopped by and had a visit and you think of those times where you're you know you just you just didn't have the knowledge so you just kept going and the risk you took and you know you're thankful you didn't get hit again in the head too soon kind of thing yeah mostly lucked out because you you ended up after calgary you kind of kept going like even with with those issues persisting didn't you no yeah i just kept entering i entered everything we could get to and so you know there's calgary and then salinas and cheyenne yeah i just kept going and it took me a little bit to get get rolling again. You know, there was, uh, I don't know, probably a few weeks there where it was pretty inconsistent. But, you know, you, I thought the answer was just keep going and keep trying and work it out, right? Kagan, we uh, so so you you competed. Uh, let's talk about some of the some of the stories though. Some you you were telling me one yesterday about uh, about getting chased down by a couple couple sheriffs maybe and. <laughs> Oregon, I think, or something. Let's let's get into some of these some of these fun stories from the road. Yeah, I thought of a couple. You know, after you challenged me with that, the, that story was pretty crazy. So, the if you talk to many cowboys, you know, different stories they have on the road. Combs driving, Comb Bouvier's driving. We'll probably come up on a number of occasions, but Comb was driving, and uh, we were. It was the end of the Fourth of July run, and I think we picked up some guys in uh, Seattle. We were heading down to Eugene along the coast, and we were all in Rocky's truck, Donald's truck and camper, and we were all pretty wore down, so we were sleeping in the back and felt the truck swerving a bit. Again, not that unusual for Comb. And uh, so I woke up and thought, I might as well get up and crawl up there and have a visit with Comb. And, and uh, you know, it's probably mid-morning, 10 or 11 o'clock. So I get up there and I've been sleeping, so I'm in my boxer shorts and sit down in the passenger seat. And uh, this guy is just losing his mind beside us, you know, on the interstate, smaller white Jeep. And uh, I'm like, Colm, what the heck's going on? What'd you do to this guy? And he laughs, typical Colm. Oh, oh. And, uh, and you know, the, so I egg him on. I'm like, no, come on, tell me. And he's like, oh, nothing, nothing. And then he comes, starts playing with this guy a little bit, you know, and cuts in front of him, not dangerously or anything, but so that the guy couldn't go past us. The highway was corked. It's Fourth of July, so he's toying with this guy a little bit, and and uh, this guy just loses it more and more and more, and starts him a little bit. And uh, anyways, thirty miles, maybe even forty, and uh, we've kind of 
lost interest in this guy that's following us. Then we go onto this overpass, and I just caught a glimpse of a whole bunch of cop cars on this overpass as we go underneath. And I'm like, look, look in the rearview mirror, and of course all the lights are on, and they're coming off of this overpass like a swarm of bees. And there was literally like eight cop cars. And they, and this guy in the Jeep, he, he pulls up beside us on the highway and kind of points out the window at us just kind of identify cops like we're some kind of uh on some kind of high speed chase or something and uh these cops swarm us pull us over jump out of the car most of them have their guns out one of them comes running up to the window and starts yelling at comb to get out and put his hands up and and comb totally unflapped by the whole thing tells this guy he's like hey it's actually not really good for these motors if you turn them off hot can you let can you give me a minute to cool it down this cop loses his mind reaches in there shuts it off by this time they've they've formed the other side of the vehicle and they're telling me to get out with my hands up so there i am standing against the truck you know in my underwear on the highway and uh in cone there they've sort of got him on the other side of the vehicle and then they open the back door and there's another half a dozen guys in there sort of sleeping or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I could tell they were trying to get their bearings, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And uh, But oh, honestly, the cops were pretty good once they had a visit with us. You could see we were just a bunch of harmless kids trying to get to the rodeo. You know, they gave Comb a couple of tickets. And as it turned out, in the end, this guy had a habit of losing his temper. And basically, he waited until we got back into his county and phoned all his buddies. He was an off-duty detective, part of the police force. Phoned oh, all his no. buddies, and then and then had him pull us pull us over. So Colm challenged the tickets and went to court later that fall, and they threw him out. The guy didn't even show up. But but uh, yeah, and we made the rodeo barely. Yeah, but we did get there. Oh wow, what a what a that could have been a pretty bad wreck, but it turned out okay. Oh well, yeah, yeah. You don't want to twitch switch too quickly when they've got their gun out and no. pointed at you through the window. And was that the only time that you uh, that you had a, bun- a gun pointed at you due to Combs <laughs> driving? <laughs> no, there's another funny story. You guys probably know Herf and, and yeah. you have to know Herf a little bit to kind of get the full context of the story, but it was in 01, we were both making a run for the finals at the end of the year and I, I flew down there from school and met him somewhere um, maybe Shreveport or something. And we had to go to this smaller rodeo in Louisiana. Herp had this old clunker, this old Plymouth. And uh, it looks like something a drug dealer would drive. I'll give the cops that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're driving down the interstate, and Herp drives like a grandpa. So we're doing 10 or 15 under the speed limit. And, uh, and these cops, you know, the lights are on, and they follow us, you know, get behind us. and. And then they stay back there for a long, long time. And, you know, Herf and I are just sitting in there. And uh, and they get out. And, of course, they got their guns drawn. And they sort of inch up on us like like at any moment we could fly out of there with a gun ourselves. And, and uh, um, you know, and they're pretty pretty serious about it down there. So they got the gun on in, you know, get your hands up, put them on the dash, and, and then, you know, haul the bed of there. And they didn't find anything and let us on our way. But, but uh her car attracted a bit of attention that day. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Talk about kind of your bad, bad record, you know, there. Why don't you talk about some of your the highlights of your career, like your best drive? 
Yeah. Um, Ted asked me a little bit about that the other day and I thought about it. I, uh, I think probably my, it'd be a toss up two rides at the Cow Palace. The one year I rode A13 trick or treat and then Border Patrol 101 the following year. I, uh, I think I was 19 when I rode trick or treat and I can remember going to the rodeo and I'd made the short round and, and I was sort of like, well, you know, feel, feel pretty comfortable with most bulls in there. And I thought, yeah, if I could draw around K66 rapid fire and trick or treat, I'd probably, probably be all right. <laughs> sure enough, I, I drew trick or treat and, and uh, I was a little spooked. I, uh, I'd seen him wipe out quite a few guys, you know, that year watched him on TV as a kid growing up and uh, here I had him at the Cal Palace and uh, I can remember getting ready behind the shoots and some circuit guys came over of course I was 19 they, they didn't from Adam hadn't seen me anywhere and and they're like you know sort of come up there like do you know what you got kind of like as if I stumbled into something and completely unaware of what I'd gotten myself into and, and I'm like yeah, yeah I get it I know what I got and uh so anyways, it, but, but it stuck it on him and, and, uh, and yeah, it was one of my uh, more favorite rides. Career, Did the circuit guys come up to you after? Yeah. Oh yeah. They were there and, you know, <laughs> the high fives and stuff, right? They're like, well, yeah. you know, but, uh. What'd they mark um, you? I was 93 that day. On trick or treat. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the border patrol ride, I think I've, I think I've seen it. I couldn't find it when I went back to look at it again, but. But uh, it was a like a ninety four, wasn't it? Yeah, I was ninety six that day. Ninety six, yeah. Yeah, the I was uh, yeah. Of course, Cal Palace is the last big rodeo of the year, and I was kind of on the bubble for the finals. And, and I remember flying back. I think we were somewhere in Minneapolis or something, trying to you know pit, hit the last few rodeos we could. I had a knuckle broken in my riding hand and two fingers taped together and. I'd had him at Ellensburg earlier that year, and I wanted that bull all year. I uh, I thought he was hit me pretty good, and I had him at Ellensburg. He bucked me off, raised the whistle, and he was quite a bit gassier indoors and quite a bit gassier his second trip. I don't know if he sort of found his spot or whatever, but he was usually better indoors and even better the second trip. So I knew he was going to be bucky, but he bucked quite a bit harder than I thought he was going to, and, and uh, he was a handful, but... Uh, yeah, I was 96. I remember I uh, I remember Robbie Condor was the guy out before me, and he rode 77 yellow jacket. He was 94, and I can remember, yeah, geez, I'm going to be a bunch. Cause I figured I could be more than that. Dang. And then uh, and then and then I was 96, and then they were going to run out of points because uh, <laughs> Tyler Fowler got on K66 and rode him right to the whistle, and that would have been better better yet. So. Oh wow! But, uh, that was a good day of bull riding. So talk about. Talk about that ride though, and being ninety six points. How did it compare to other rides that were for you that were marked like your, you know, ninety three or or up in that in that area? How did it compare? What what made it th- those couple points better? Yeah, yeah. Um, that bull was gassy, and and he just never quit. The lot like that when I was ninety three on trick or treat, he felt um, and. And I felt like I was quite a bit better into my hands. Trick or treat was away from my hand that day, and I guess I was just had a good seat on him, and he just felt good. But Border Patrol was into my hand, which usually was easier for me. But he bucked hard, you know. He bucked hard the whole eight seconds, and and uh, he just kept pushing back and spinning, and uh, never really gave me a chance to catch up. 
And uh, I don't know, that was one of the buckiest bulls I've ever been on was him on that day. Did that ride seal the finals for you too? In hindsight, I probably have made it anyways, but I didn't know that. You know, getting on him, I kind of thought, kind of thought this was it. I needed to ride him to make the finals, so there was quite a bit of pressure, and I was, yeah, felt good to to uh, come through when I needed to there. That's probably the highest marked ride ever by a Canadian in any event. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't done much research on it, and I, I uh, I mean, part of it's being in the right place at the right time. Like if Robbie hadn't rode seventy-seven, I don't know what, I don't know what I'd have been. But I, yeah, it, bull, he, he bucked as as hard as any bull I've ever been on. I think. So I mean, I'm proud of getting by him. I guess. Oh yeah, we we talked about it yesterday. You said you had some issues with your scaphoid, and that's what ended your career earlier. Like I I got thinking about it last night, and you you turned forty last year, and Schiffner. Mm-hmm turned 40 this year and yeah he he rode up until a couple of years ago so he he didn't he had an extra like 13 years on when you finished didn't he yeah he's a machine <laughs> the <laughs> i i still stay in touch with scott quite a bit and yeah i mean i broke my scaphoid uh the first year after i made the the nfr so that winter i got on a bull called cliffhanger at cody's bull busting and stuck my hand in the in the in the wet clay and then I, I landed on it at the same time i knew that i'd probably broken it when i got up and uh it it uh scaphoid's a tough bone to heal so that was in the winter of 2000 and uh and i had some surgery done on it in the u.s you had to have it done in the states to get it done or they they wouldn't do it up here because they didn't deem it you know necessary but I talked to a lot of guys, and I had a guy do it down there, the screw in it. And uh, actually, Reno was my first rodeo back uh, from that, you know, the following year. And uh, and I managed to make it through the year. I mean, I finished 16th that year, and it was great getting hurt. I got to go to the NFR. So, it, you know, it wasn't a complete disaster, but it just got – and uh, I took O2 off with some surgeries done on it, some bone grafts. And then started again in the fall of 03. So I wouldn't necessarily say the scapegoat thing ended my career. Um, the hindrance at the end. You were so by then you were uh, 04. You're 25, and that's kind of that's kind of the end of it. You uh, you're moving on to finishing school and and starting at MNP. Yeah, like when I took that year off to get the surgeries done, I I finished. Uh, I'd finished my degree in the U.S. in Bozeman, my business degree. Took a year of education at the U of L, get my Canadian equivalent uh, for accounting courses, and then started with MNP in the uh, spring of 2003, and uh, and then I did some bull riding, you know, in the fall of '03 and then '04, and then I I for my bicep in Calgary was really the last place I went you know, four and, uh, I get, well, the last place that year anyway, and I was having a good year that year. I think I was leading the standings most of the year, tore my bicep at Calgary and then, uh, didn't go to anything the rest of the year, uh, had surgery. And I think I finished crying hole for the CFR. And, uh, then I tried going to some the next spring and, uh, I'd gotten married that fall and I don't know, bull riding just seemed didn't seem quite as important as it used to and just 
start of the next stage in life. And in 2000, you made the NFR, but not the CFR. That's kind of a rarity too. But you would have spent most of your time in the States that year at school. Yeah, that's right. I Probably the same thing. Like in 2001, when I, when I finished season leader in Canada, I probably only went to 18 rodeos or 15 rodeos. Would have been the same thing in 2000, but just didn't happen to win. Oh, okay. Win at those Canadian rodeos for whatever reason. And then being the, a bit more, yeah. being the season leader in 01, uh, I don't know how the finals went as far as, well, it says you, you split fourth and fifth. You won 7,500. So with the season earnings at 39,000, I think I look back and I think Schiffner and I were talking about it at one point, but we talked about how if you had the season count and the CFR count like it would have back in, like it, like it does now, you would have maybe been the Canadian champion that year too, rather than it being sudden death yeah, in the finals. I, n- I never looked back at that and I never thought of it until you mentioned it the other day. So I don't know, but that's kind of neat to think of it that way. But, uh, you know, those weren't the rules. Then you needed to win the finals. And, and uh, I remember those finals pretty clear. I was going into the last day, and I think Wade Joyle and Rob Bell um, were uh, ahead of me. And I think Wade, I had to win the round, and Wade had to place lower than fourth, and Rob had to buck off. I think I rode Mission Impossible. I was out first because I was behind. It was 89. And then I think Wade rode Dirty White Boy, and uh, Rob short fuse and won it, I think how it worked well talking about uh you said you said mighty whitey or did you say i think it was dirty white boy or dirty white boy white boy they, yeah that reminded I me think of that's the, what it was it reminded me of the 2000 nfr though it's one of the few stats you have on pro bowl stats and you got on like it looked like just the freaking murderer's row of bucking bulls that year you, you in the first round you had cash they marked him 46 and a half you had unforgiven the next night they marked him 46 and a half then a couple nights later, you get yeah. on one. They mark forty-five and a half. Bo Dippin, like yeah. you had you your average bull score there was like forty-six in ten rounds. It was nuts. Yeah, I had a lots of rank bulls, and that's one one thing I wish I'd have had a better finals out of those two finals for sure. The uh, I drew eighteen bulls away from my hand out of twenty. Oh wow! And wow. Uh, and when I had trouble, I had trouble away from my hand. So it. Uh, would have been nice to have a better finals, get on a roll in there somewhere, but it didn't work out that way. Well, it's tough on the first night when you get Yellow Jacket, too, and then you got Mighty Whitey the next night, and Durango, they mark him 47 points, hammer time, like, holy smokes, they didn't make it easy on you guys there that year. Yeah. Uh, well, there's some ranch bulls. It was a lot of fun. Oh, I bet. Uh, so let's go into, into now and in, in the in the MNP journey. You, you started there in 03 in Red Deer, and then you said you went to uh, – Lloyd and started there in 05, isn't that right? Yeah, I lost you there for a bit, but I think you asked about starting at MNP in 03. Yeah, and then moving to Lloyd in 05, I think, right? Yeah, that's right. So so while I was taking that year off, getting my wrists sort of worked on and figuring out what to do next, I um, like I said, I finished my school at the U of L and then took a position articling at the Red Deer office in, in, uh, at MNP and... Uh, that was a big change. I mean, you go from being in rodeo and sort of knowing everybody and having kind of carved out a spot for yourself to starting from complete zero, you know, in another profession, it was pretty tough. Um, but uh, the crew at Red Deer, pretty special. It was a lot of good guys at the office there. And, and 
it uh, really made the difference for me in the transition and and uh, they really supported me in, in my rodeo efforts and, and like I said that year that the next year old four I went to lots of Canadian rodeos up to Calgary so I tore my biceps. Funny story I remember starting work at the office in Red Deer and you know I'm a I'm I was reasonably fit I guess I'm a young guy and there's uh you know a couple of older partners Scott Dixon and Graham Heron they laugh if they heard the story they uh they would jog at lunchtime and you know I, I saw them jogging at lunch and and uh one of them said hey you know you want to go for a jog or whatever and uh and I thought oh yeah for sure so I brought some sweat the next day and thought I would absolutely destroy these old accountants <laughs> <laughs> and they we go out for an hour jog and it was totally the opposite they just destroyed me and humiliated me <laughs> and uh, so uh so then I got jogging with those guys and that would have been in the summer of 03 and I was in the best shape of my life that fall and that's when I started going to rodeos again so uh yeah some good times and good memories at the Red Deer office for sure pretty good crew of guys there and still Graham and Scott are still partners in the firm and I still see them lots so when you you mentioned partner that's uh that's part of uh well you are a partner now in lloyd minster <clears throat> yeah that's right so i started in 03 in the spring of 03 and then uh, did my articling takes about two and a half years to uh finish your articles you write the they called it the uniform final exam and now it's you uh the ue and it used to be the UP. so pretty rigorous exam and uh you pass that and you get your designation it was a ca then chartered accountant now it's cca and uh and during that time you know i I met my wife amy and uh that would have been uh, you know we started dating in january of 04 married in the fall that year and always had a mind to sort of move back to the lloydminster area so when i finished my articling i asked if i could transfer and and they said sure and uh, so i transferred back to the lloyd office and uh yeah i mean the the career opportunities at MNP have been awesome. I'm very thankful. Uh, extremely great uh, group of guys and and girls to work with. And and uh, in '08, they uh, I was admitted to the partnership. So I would have been 28, maybe just turned 29. So I would have been one of the youngest partners in the firm at that time. And and uh, yeah, like I said, I just appreciate the opportunities at MNP. It's been great. Uh, you know, it's a been a lot of growth in the firm and i've got to be part of that so it's been great there probably aren't any other bull riders that are in the accounting business now either <laughs> none that i'm aware of i'm sure there's some <laughs> out there but none that i'm aware of the only one the only other one i even know that's done any schooling in it is is uh dakota butter and we haven't talked to him about it lately but he at one point was uh on path to be in that same line of work but i'll have to ask him about it i'm not i'm not sure now yeah yeah, definitely no regrets. I mean, uh, there was definitely some times, you know, it's driving to work, the driving to rodeos, and you're driving to work with an articling student. It's like a huge pay cut. Was making more money riding bulls than I was doing that at the time, and and uh, but no regrets. It it uh, it's been a it's been a great career. I uh, it's nothing like what I would have imagined it. I uh, I like numbers as a kid. You know, I had a little check registry and wrote down all my checks and balanced my bank account and all of that as a young kid. So I, 
that's what kind of drew me to the accounting profession. And, you know, numbers are really just a small part of it. It's really about, you know, managing relationships, clients, with people, staff, much different than I, than I would have expected, but I got lucky and fell in love with it. It's been a great career. And and it's more than just accounting too. Like there's a lot of different pieces to, to what you guys are doing now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, the, uh, like I said, numbers are really just part of it. You know, if you could, if you could sort of articulate what we do, you know, from a broader perspective, it's we solve people's problems, whatever they might be. And they're often financial, but uh, sometimes, um, you know, that financial piece um, uh, is, is more about, you know, uh, how to transition, you know, the business from one generation, you know, how to, how to transition out of business, how to buy a business, how to sell it, how to value it. Um, the tax planning, the tax planning is the easy part, really. And uh, I, we just got, I got to throw it in there just for people that are maybe in the business, in like in the rodeo world and are maybe looking for somebody that's, that does that kind of thing and has a connection to our sport as kind of an easier in. Where do they reach out to you to, to uh, see if you guys can work together? Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. The, if you uh, Google MNP Lloyd Minster, um, or or my name, um, you should find my email address, kagan.sired at mnp.ca, or uh, or uh, feel free to contact anybody at your local MNP office. Uh, you know the the firm as a whole. Um, you know we follow a culture that you know our business is really about you know relationships uh, more than it is strictly numbers. So you're going to get that at whatever MNP you go to. I guess one other question I had was about the MNP partnership with the PBR. Now, did you have anything to do with that, Kagan? Uh, yeah, a little bit. The um, um, definitely um, chatted with our marketing department about that to, to sort of get some details on it. But yeah, it's something we're proud of, and and uh, think it'll be a good partnership. The uh, you know MNP as a our grassroots are really in the egg industry and and. Uh, so I think it's a good fit there. Uh, one more thing I just remembered too is the Olympics in in O two. Got to go back to the bull riding side of things. Talk about uh, talk about that, or or did you get yeah, to go? I, Were you hurt? I, I didn't. I didn't go. That was uh, like okay. I said. That was the that was O one, and uh, my wrist was completely bagged at the end of the NFR that year. The pin had come loose, and I, I rode the whole finals with a, basically a broken wrist and. I was pretty beat up and beat down, and and I said, "Hey, why don't you know?" I think Luke got to go instead. I said, "You might as well give her." I and uh, I went in and got the surgery done right after the finals. Luke went to the Olympics for me. There's not a lot of records on there, so that kind of kind of throws me off sometimes. So sorry about that one, but um, no, that's all right. What about uh, what's life like now with the, with five girls at home and and your wife too? That it must be quite the. It just must be it must be a lot of a lot of work taking care of all like five different girls and they're between four and thirteen now, aren't they? They got all their own things on yeah. the go. Yeah, it's awesome. The I uh, I married the the best woman on the entire planet, and uh, and uh, you know we have five girls from ages four to thirteen, and uh, yeah, it's a busy house. We've got. You know, we have 250 cows this year and have 350 yearlings. So between work and chores and fixing fence and moving cattle and kids, it's, yeah, there's, we don't watch much TV anyway. 
And you, you got lots of help coming up too, I guess. Free help. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's take a break and we'll be back with Kagan after this. So Kagan, you uh, you told us a story about uh, about uh, getting pulled over by the cops. Yeah, on, was the way to, on the way to Eugene, and then yeah, and then her in his creepy creepy, creepy car. drug drug dealer car. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you told us about those first couple stories about you know Comb getting pulled over, and then Herf in his in his car. What uh, what else what else have you got for us? There. Uh, so there. One other year we were doing. Uh, uh, the BC rodeos in May, and uh, so is we this were... a go kart story? No, not the go kart one. <laughs> the it uh, I got left behind on the Coquihalla. Oh, wh- how? So, so we were uh, we were at Cloverdale and and uh, uh, Cloverdale and Luxton, and we'd done we'd done those two, and and uh, I wasn't entered up at any rodeos in the U.S. that time. So there's just a bunch of us traveling together, jumped in, and we we're heading to uh, Falkland, I guess. And uh, so I don't know whose rig it was. I think it was Garth. Um, and uh, so he had a bigger camper, kind of a cab over Capri. And uh, there was lots of guys in there. I, I can't remember. Nick Shifter and I think Brandy was there. And so there was quite a few people in the truck, which you know, wasn't that normal. Usually there's you know four guys at the most or whatever. But uh, we uh, we stopped at the toll booth on the Coquihalla, and uh, and I got out to take a leak, and uh, a few of us did, and I was the last guy getting back to the truck, and they thought I was in the truck, and they just took off. So I was standing at the toll booth um, in my short. I had no shoes on, no socks, no hat. Oh man! Just some, just some shorts, no wallet, no phone, nothing. Oh like no! Like I looked. I look like a homeless bum. Yeah. Oh wow. And so, so they're driving, and I see them driving away, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, great. That's really funny. Nice joke, guys." And and they'll be coming back in a couple of minutes. So I stood there for a couple of minutes, and then I started walking, and then it, and then they didn't come back. And I'm like, "Holy crap!" You know, they didn't. They obviously, you know, the people in the front thought I got in the back, and the people in the back thought I got in the front. Yeah. And just took off. And there was no boot in the window or nothing either. You're, like it was no communication, probably. Yeah, if there was a boot, they had the thing shut and were just watching movies or something. Yeah. So, so the pavement's hot enough to fry an egg on, and I'm walking around in bare feet on the side oh, of the highway. Oh no. And uh, not trying to hitchhike at this point yet. No, but 15 minutes into it, I'm like, well, these guys that don't know I'm not in there. So then I start trying to thumb it and. And uh, it took a while to get a ride. Like apparently, a guy, skinny white guy on the side of the road with flat no shoes, um, <laughs> isn't a real uh, attractive proposition for a hitchhiker. Oh but, man! Uh, so I got a ride to this fruit stand, and this this family was kind enough to give me a ride. And they're like, "Well, you know, um, we'll have to let you out here." It's kind of a pull out off the highway. There's like a fruit stand vendor there. 
there's some vehicles there. And, and where where was where was the toll booth? I don't I don't remember the toll booth ever. Which yeah, town was, was that a, in? Was it like 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 south by like uh, Abbotsford on the way back up north? No, no, kind of where you crash the peak and start coming down the other oh. way. Like like there was no town around. It was just a toll booth on the highway. Oh wow! So 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 yeah, literally, there's nothing. Like, so it's between like toll. Chase and and Kamloops, though, right? Probably yeah. yeah yeah that's right or Chase yeah. and Merritt Merritt's the next town I think. Dang. Um, so so yeah so I'm at this fruit stand and and I asked this guy if I can use his phone and he's eyeballing me sideways and I'm yeah like, you got no shoes you think he's gonna you're gonna take off on foot with his phone or something? <laughs> yeah but yeah it was a wreck. So the um so he finally lets me use his phone and I phoned uh, home he was hurt. So, so I thought, well, I got one call. I'll phone Comb, and then he can start phoning these guys on their cell. And uh, so I phone Comb and tell him to start phoning these guys. Uh, he can't get a hold of them. You know, it's patchy service. Phone's back. Says he couldn't get a hold of them. Phone's back again, like 20 minutes later. Says he got, got a hold of Scott. I think it was Scott. But they were, you know, closer to the rodeo than they were to me at that point. So they're like, well, we're going to miss the rodeo if we come back. So we'll come back and get you when the rodeo's over. No way. Yeah. So, so I walked around there at this fruit stand place for a while. And finally. Uh, Had no money. So you're getting hungry and thirsty at this point. Still shoeless. Yeah. And uh, finally this, this young couple, I talked them into giving me a ride and, and they, uh, they gave me a ride right to the rodeo. And I just barely got there in time. The bulls were in the chute and, <laughs> Yeah, so I come wandering across, you know, the rodeo grounds with my bare feet, shorts, and yeah, it was made it. I made it anyway. Okay, and then how did it go once you got there? I think I stayed on. I had a bull Northcott rodeo. I think it was Wild Rags or something. I can't remember if I placed. It wasn't anything spectacular, but, but got some uh, day money. Got it done anyway. Good story. Jeez, the I never would have thought of something like that about getting left. Like it's kind of almost. It would be something that wouldn't happen as much now with cell phones, but you and you might have just had a cell phone early two thousands. Like remember, I think I got my first one in two thousand five, but there was like bag phones before that and whatnot. But it wasn't much yeah. of a cell phones, really, was it? Yeah, we had handheld cell phones, but yeah, it uh, they were primarily just for calling. So it's not like now where you're doing everything on yeah. there. Like I very rarely leave a room without it in my pocket now. But yeah. back then it was more just for calling. Damn. So, that's awesome. What? So you get left on the side of the road. You've got to have uh, maybe maybe one more one more from the road or a couple. Whatever you got, just keep going. I, I'm I this, sure. this is good. <laughs> sure, I got. Uh, so when I was, uh, um, it was the first year that I sort of started going as hard as I could to try to make the NFR, and it was the winter run. Two thousand uh, or ninety nine. Yeah, it would have been two thousand. That's right. Okay. So, the winter of 2000 and um um i drove to uh from school down to, to uh san antonio for the long round and rode there and uh and i'd made the short round at rapid city and uh so it's a it's a long drive and uh um, we were leaving san antonio from a night perf to rapid city an afternoon perf Ooh. i think we had like 18 hours or something and it's an eight it's a 19 hour drive yeah, it's it takes a while, and uh, you've done it before. 
I did it uh, going from north to south, but I got dropped off in Oklahoma City. Yeah. So you know, you know the trip. and uh, Isn't it mostly like Highway 83? I can't remember the highway, but yeah, it, it's... Uh, you go north through Texas and then into Oklahoma. Yeah. And then through Kansas and Nebraska, I think. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, I was pretty gassed just from driving down there. I think I hit uh, Fort Worth, Long Round, and then down to San Antonio. And uh, most of the guys were down there already. I was going to school, so I was back and forth you know, to school during the week. So I think I drove down there by myself and uh, met up with the guys and spent a few days, went to them two rodeos. And then Jake Hayworth, he's uh, from Montana, the bronc rider. He made the short round of Rapid City, too. So we jumped in my truck. I had a 6.5 diesel with a Capri camper on it. And uh, we knew we had to give her, so so we had her foot in her the whole way. But something was weird with the truck. Like, you could uh, set the cruise for, it would do, like, 145, but the cruise wouldn't hold it down any any faster than that so you had to mash it right to the floor with your foot to get it go 160 or 165 so of course hours and hours mashing the pedal right to the floor you know your calf starts to fatigue so so uh we saw some some bushes on the side of the road i can't remember i think it was in oklahoma or something we quickly stopped and whipped her over and broke a branch off and uh so I shoved that branch between the, the seat to be right under your knee and, and the pedal. And then Jake got in the back and pushed the seat ahead with his feet. And uh, we got it mashed straight to the floor. And so <laughs> we just shoved that stick in there and give her and run a tank of fuel out, pull the stick over and pull, pull the stick out, pull over, fill it up and do it again. Holy. But uh, we got to... Uh, I think it was Nebraska. We crossed the state line between Kansas and Nebraska, and the sun was coming up. And uh, we're just co- coming into the city limits. I can't remember what town. Might have been Lima um, or Salina, I mean, Kansas. And uh, uh, this cop pulls me over, and I knew I wasn't speeding because it was just coming into town. So I was taking her easy. So he he approaches pretty cautious, not like the guy in uh Louisiana or <laughs> Oregon, but yeah. so, so this guy was quite a bit more laid back, and uh, but he meanders up there and he's like, "Hey, where are you guys coming from?" And you know, actually, we're coming from San Antonio. We're going to head to Rapid City, the rodeo. And I think most cops, you know, or most people know that Capri campers are associated with rodeo. I don't yeah. know if that's a thing, but um, so th- I think this guy kind of had it figured. And uh, he's like, well, that's funny because uh, we've had, uh, you know, about 10 calls from different drivers in, you know, two states about this blue truck and black camper that you guys been going fast. And at that point, I knew he already knew. So I'm like, well, yeah, we've been giving her. And uh, he's like, well, you better tap her cool here. And and, uh, he did give me a ticket, but he was so laid back. I thought, uh, I thought. Well, while well, well, he's writing up this ticket, I might as well fill up with fuel. So I said, hey, well, would you mind letting me pull up here and, and uh, start filling up while you write this ticket? And that was, yeah, he wasn't going to have any of that. His mood changed immediately. So so uh, anyways, he wrote the ticket up. And, and we did make it to Rapid City in time for Jake to get on his horse. 
course we made the bull riding too but but uh yeah homemade cruise control oh dang i heard uh i heard rod hay did that too i heard a story about him having the in the green dragon he had like a <laughs> he had a stick there that they, and they played crib going down the road like 80 miles an hour playing crib full on funny holy the uh we had one other uh um so in the fall i think hannah lacombe and mccord always used to be the last weekend in Canada. Yep. I don't know if that's still a thing. Ha- but, the only uh, one left is Hannah, actually, because Lacombe doesn't have a pro rodeo anymore, and uh, McCord just finished up recently, too. So it's just, uh, it's Hannah, but then, um, ooh, something else is on close by. Like, Olds is right around then, and there's, yep. the they have the, they've had the grassroots finals in the last couple, like, last six or seven years in, in that timeline or the week after. But I feel like there's one more. There's something else in that weekend now, but I don't know what the heck it is. Oh, it's Brooks. It's Brooks. I worked the damn rodeo. I forgot about it. But it. it oh, okay. Um, yeah, Bruce moved a lot of like the McCord weekend to to Brooks for for a, a Dallas Sunstrom Memorial. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, in Brooks. Yeah. Huh. Right on. So it's changed, but what do you? Well, but it's the last weekend. Yeah. So it was the last weekend of the year, and and I was at school at uh, at MSU in Bozeman. Yep. And, uh, um, yeah, my finals position was safe and everything. So it was no big panic to get up there, but we were going to go up and hit these last three rodeos and Todd Herzog. I don't know if you know Todd. Oh yeah. Helmet. Yeah. We, we called him gazoo. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen I can imagine. Makes yeah. sense. And, uh, so me and gazoo, we're going to head up there and hit them three rodeos. And, and, uh, it's always seemed like we're a few minutes late. Anyways, we got to the Valmarie border crossing and they were just closing down. Oh no. And, uh, so, so we pull up there and the guy was still there, but it was five after or something. And, and, uh, he's like, yeah, well, we're closed here. You're beat guys. And I'm like, well, come on. Like you're here. We're here. Like, let's do this. And, uh, he's like, nope, we're done. It's closed. You're going to have to come back tomorrow. And, huh. uh, we got a rodeo to go to, sir. Sorry. Yeah, and so their house is right there, eh? Like on those smaller crossings. Like I think they live there. Yeah. So he was walking back to his house, and so, so, so I thought while I was talking to him, I'm like, okay, this is the end of this, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it. So, uh, so I said, yeah, no problem. And uh, me and Gazoo drove south for I don't know five miles or something till we till the first road that that went east, I guess. And then we turned east and went till could find a road that would go north yeah and we meandered around back in there for half an hour uh through pastures and over cattle gates and whatever and uh we found the fence you can tell what it is they've got the post marked or every fifth post or something's painted red and white yeah and uh so kazoo jumped out and grabbed a pair of pliers out of his rigging bag and we popped the staples out of his fence and uh, he stepped on it and I drove across and then we had to find some way back, you know, to, to the highway to the high- or to the gravel, like to the road. Yeah. Yeah. So we messed around and through this pasture and, and, uh, and it's probably wide I, open there. Like they can probably see you from two miles away. Yeah. The, it's a little bit roll, you know, there's some rolling hills there. So, I mean, the, uh, um, we weren't sort of dead out in the open, but yeah, it's, it's prairie. And, uh, so anyways, we messed around until we got on this trail and, and kind of headed, you know, northwest, trying to get back to the highway. 
and then onto a dirt road and uh and then it started sort of coming back south again oh no I'm like, oh, I'm like oh man this is no good but you know we were committed at that point and uh didn't want to go back we were late so uh anyways we come up onto this farmer's yard and uh sort of come in this cattle gate from a pasture you know off this dirt road and this guy's on his tractor with the bale shredder like you know heading out to do something I didn't stop. We waved. He waved. Seemed like he wasn't in too too big of a panic. You know, about these guys driving around in his pastures. Probably happened before. Anyways, this road led right to the border crossing. Oh no! So we came right out at the border crossing, but on the north you know, side, fifty yards on the other side. So just punched it and went. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that guy was having a stuff notice it. Oh geez, so so he did, and you made it through. So you made it on a unauthorized border crossing one time, maybe. Yeah, we got got through. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and because you probably were trying to get to the perf, like they probably closed at five, and you're probably trying to make it by seven to McCord, yeah, which is just across right. the line. Yeah. Oh, Dang. we made it to, to McCord. Oh, that's awesome. The rodeo started, but but Gazoo got his horse, and yeah, yeah. So. Oh wow. That uh, I guess that was back when border security wasn't as big of a deal but 9-11 would have been i guess the year after that yeah so things oh, yeah. changed up quite a bit oh wow that's wild that's i couldn't imagine that now like i i imagine it still happens a little bit but but uh yeah and some folks own property on both sides too i suppose and that kind of thing but that's that just seems like kind of unheard of now but like there's probably times where you're thankful now where there weren't any cell phone cameras on everybody's damn phones so you guys could get away with a little more, right? Than there is now. Yeah, but. no, for no, for sure you wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, the farmers seem pretty laid back, so I wonder if that didn't happen more times than not. But well, especially when you get a guy at the border that's like it's five minutes and he's off the clock because he's a government guy. Sorry, see ya. Yeah, but maybe Trevor Walker had a pass beat around there already. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> thanks for all those stories. That was. That's awesome. I like I like hearing that stuff. That's the kind of stuff that you don't don't hear all the time, right? It's it's such different different yeah, uh, no experience. Those are great. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about the education side of things though, a little bit and being you know being a bull rider, but going and and taking the time while you're you know in school. You know you you pursue the education side of things at MSU, and then you go back up to to uh, you say you finished in Lethbridge or Red Deer. You did your yeah. internship in Red Deer, but you finished school in Lethbridge, right? Yeah, the U of L. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lethbridge. Let's yeah. just talk about how how important that the side of things are, or what what your biggest uh, um, piece of advice for people might be be on the education side of things when they when they're when they're competing or for when afterwards too, because uh, your your career in bull riding is not often very long. Yeah. No, for sure. I uh, so, some good questions. The the, uh, it was difficult. Like uh, I won't sugarcoat it. There was like I was telling you um, that one story. I was back at school and I sort of had to find travel myself and typically meet up with the guys at the first rodeo. And there wasn't any flying because you didn't have enough cash to fly, probably. And Bozeman is probably not a great place to fly out of either. No, the I did do a bit of flying, but out of Salt Lake, so I'd always drive from Bozeman to Salt Lake and catch a plane and meet up with the guys and then catch a plane, uh, a plane back to Salt Lake and then, and then drive from Salt Lake home. 
That'll um, cut into your cost though when you're in school too and you're already trying to make a living yeah. and trying to pay for school or on a scholarship or however like it's not easy yeah yeah no I, it was uh it was expensive but uh you know the end goal was you know trying to make the nfr and make some money and 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 you know it, it the investment paid off but the it, it was a bit of a challenge just mentally too like the um it would have been easy enough i guess to sort of quit and, and just go full-time on the road i wouldn't have had to do that traveling back and forth to bozeman and and uh you know and i have to cram my studying in. i think i most of the time i only average three days a week at school typically gone a day um on the front and back end of the weekend in the winter and sometimes even longer like sometimes i'd miss a full week or not usually two weeks but a full week of school so I was trying to cram my studying in while I was there. Was there any oh. option to like to do anything on the road much? But, but then yeah. it probably was not not as much though. I would think. Yeah, online wasn't much of a thing then. Like, I mean, you could submit assignments online and and uh, but yeah, in terms of virtual classes online, yeah, that was wasn't a thing there anyway. So yeah, I mean, I had my book with me at both NFRs, like uh, um, trying to cram for exams and. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but, but, uh, you know, getting that degree has certainly opened up a lot of doors and, and, uh, you know, I would encourage anybody to think about that as a young person, those, the investments that you make when you're young are the most important ones because, you know, those are the investments that sort of keep paying you back for for your entire life, right? What you do at, at a young age, um, know is important for those reasons sort of echoes for the next 40 years so uh i'm not one of these guys that says education is everything um but think you know being thoughtful about you know what you know what you want your life to look at like at 40 50 60 years old is pretty important you know when you're in your 20s and uh so i mean sometimes you have to do things that are a little bit more difficult or or try or try a little bit, but like I said, those investments that you make at a young age, I think, can be pretty important. I uh, I totally agree, but I I mean some of those some of the guys or some of some of us maybe don't have the foresight to think that far ahead. A lot of times, either it's kind of it's not not everybody does it. I guess that that's part of the part of it too, right? Yeah, and and I mean, like I said, I'm not one of these guys that says education is everything. Education just opens or ultimately what you do with it after yeah. that is the important part and uh whether you try to open a door through education or starting a business like yourself or uh you know start a small herd of cows and try to grow it whatever that is i i would encourage young people to be mindful and thoughtful about you know doors that are trying to open and uh you know again what they want life to look like at at 30 40 50 years old what what would you say the biggest takeaway from your bull riding career would be? I kind of, I kind of first thought to ask you how much your earnings in the bull riding business kickstarted your next chapter of your life, but I'm wondering yeah. if it was more of the experiences rather than like a little bit of cash flow. Yeah, good question. Uh, um, I was uh, fortunate enough to make some money bull riding that did help. You know, with the next venture we. We bought our first house with that money and, uh, you know, had a herd, small herd of cows, you know, made a down payment on some land. So 
so that was that was really good and I'm thankful for that but but I have thought about it a lot over the years and and I think it's the experiences that 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 were really valuable and and uh I think one of the things that that uh really stuck with me is the idea of risk and reward and you know bull riding is so thrilling that way you know you sort of risk everything you know financially you know there's days you're you know we're going down the road and you don't know if you have enough money to uh, pay for the entry fees at the you know at the next event or what right you need to win some day money or you buy a muffin because you can't even afford to stop for you know a full meal or whatever and uh, so taking those risks um, and then seeing the reward of you know of winning a rodeo you know making a finals you know making a run for a canadian title or a world title it's the guys that take risks and are willing to do that that and put themselves in that position that win in the end and that's no different in, in you know whether you're rodeoing or any sport for that matter or life in general if you want to sit on the fence and watch it go by it will or you can throw your hat in there and take a chance the guys that are willing to take those chances that i think are that win in life oh i like that i i, I don't think anybody's put it that way yet on our on our show i've never heard it that way before but i i really like that yeah, it's it's easy to throw stones from the sidelines, and and you sort of see that in, you know, even in the accounting world, you know, you can see a different demographic. Some clients are really risk adverse, and and there's there's going too far and letting her hang out there too far. Um, there's there's that as well, but but uh, you know, the risk takers are 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 the ones that really keep the economy rolling and keep everything moving and and put themselves in a place to win. I think. And I think I think on the debt side of things, the uh, the most risky thing on in the business side of things would be debt, for the most mm. part, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Debt and and time, like uh, time's the one thing none of us can buy. We all have the same amount of it. So, you know, debt is a risk, but also you know allotting a block of time, you know, to try something. Um, it's risky as well because that's you know you, you spend two years on a venture and if it doesn't go two years you never get back right yeah so so dead end and t- just time right now that we're on to the business side of things what what would you uh i'm not sure where i want to go with this first if you want to talk like business and rodeo um one, one thing i got to throw out though is is you rode in, in the pbr a little bit but the, their event payout hasn't changed in like 15 years. Like I don't want to talk down about a, a company I work with a lot. Um, I'm yeah. pointing out the fact that the Built for Tough series paid 30000 for an event win, and it still pays that much 15 years later. Wow. I, uh, I, I'll have to say I haven't been following financially what, uh, um, what it pays to win a PBR event on average. I mean, they throw the million-dollar year-end prize money out, but yeah, but uh, one thing I do do or have done, um, I, I'm still a rodeo fan, so I'm checking the internet, checking standings, watching videos. It's interesting to see, you know, um, that the you know the 15th place guy in the PBR or PRCA for that matter, it's still a pretty tough way to make a living. Oh yeah, and uh, so that speaks to what you're saying, you know, in terms of of money up. I did and, know, or sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's you. You go. I was just going to interject. I remember uh, 
a year or two ago. I'm not sure if it was the top 10 or 50. I think it was the top 10. Everyone in the top 10 in the PBR made over 200,000, which I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah, 200,000. Yeah, everybody everybody was over 200,000 in earnings that year. Not That was just prize money won. That wasn't including endorsements if there were any for those right. super guys. For sure, a lot of them would, Some, but some still would not have as much as others, right? But... Yeah. But you go down to thirty-five, and it's like forty-five or fifty thousand US, which yeah. that's like I can do um, a pretty decent job at home and make fifty grand too, and not risk my life for it. Yeah, and I mean the the risking your life is is I mean that's the thrill and that the fun part, and probably largely why most guys do it. But back to that comment about what you're investing in for you know for the know to pay back when you're 30 40 50 that's tough right you're not there's not a lot left over to to build anything for your future and that is disappointing because uh um you know bull riding is dangerous it is a skill all rodeo events are and and to put that much into it and and sort of say well there's enough room for the 20 best in the world and and that's it you know yeah that's a bit sobering well and i wonder I look. I think about this, and we talk about this, and I wonder what the what the solution might be too. If you look at it, we've thought. I've I've talked to different folks before, and it might be a a guaranteed wage, or it's less expenses on the road. But the PBR as a whole has to make money as a company because they they're not a uh, you know they're not a um, uh, they're not the government. They don't just give away money, right? They're, yeah. <laughs> they can't they yeah. can't tax you more, right? Like they right. can't just they can't just take money out of thin air. They got to make it as a business. So. Um, one thing Flint mentioned the other day, Flint Rasmussen on his show is that I know we all want to make more in the business, but the sport has to have enough fans to, to, uh, to pay money to watch the sport to, and enough people to have, to be on the sponsorship side of things to make it work. So unless it's going up, you know, it's not, yeah. it's not going the right way. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, sort of, um, ensuring everyone gets a basic, basic sort of wage or earnings, I think. I think would have a limited shelf life. Um, you know, uh, I think it's really about driving more revenue at the top and then, and then, you know, and then letting the guys that do the best win it because yeah. that's going to encourage people, you know, to do well and win part of a, it's part of a um, capitalist sort of uh, mindset, which I, which I think is good. Um, and, and, you know, as Flynn said about the fans, I, I think that's that's what it is. And I think back of my time as a bull rider and, you know, I just, I wasn't, I didn't have my head in it the way I should have that way. The, I was just going to, to try and win and, and, and do well that way. The, but at the end of the day, we're providing entertainment, right? Yeah. That's what we have, have to sell. And, uh, you know, if it's not entertaining and people don't want to pay to watch it, you know, we're beat. We're all just playing with each other's money. Yeah, it's and, just a uh, jackpot then. So, so I don't know what the answer to that is, and and uh, I mean I I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, you know. Recently, uh, yeah. But but one of the things that comes to mind is you know people collaborating a bit more, like got different associations, all doing different things. You know, there's probably a way to work together uh, to reduce overhead and add scale. Um, you know, if 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 the associations all work together and sort of had a, you know, you still need the, you know, the, the amateur and, and the professional piece, but if, you know, if we all work together on that, there might be a way to, to gain some efficiencies. 
even even just conglomerating all the offices, like closing down, mm. you know, ten or twelve or fifteen different rodeo offices in the country, or how many people they're paying to take entries. Like if you centralize it and have one office, you know, and one one office does all the sanctioning and administration, and you have, you know, you have ten staff instead of fifty for all the different associations. Like I I've thought about that too. You know, or even yeah. even one website. Like, what what does one website cost each little association a year? Too, that's just one part of it. But I mean, yeah, you know, and then your scheduling could be more consistent across the board. I mean, there could just be. I think there's a lot of upside. And then with that whole entire pool, you could have a more consistent product across the board. You have similar rules. You have one rule book. I I, I agree. There's and there you have one only one card to buy. Maybe it's five hundred or six hundred bucks instead of. Everybody charging one fifty or three hundred or whatever they are, but I yeah. I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, and then you start talking about what kind of a product you could provide people yeah. that want to consume it. It's like a standardized. This is rodeo, right? Yeah, it's yeah. six or it's seven events or whatever it is, and then there might be a junior feeder division or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then you get your tiering system, which has been talked about for thirty years, never happened yet, right? So or forty years maybe even too. But I mean, yeah. But what's it going to take to get that to happen? I, I don't know. I don't I don't think I'm the guy yeah. to do it. But <laughs> Yeah, well, it's an interesting topic. And part of what makes Cowboys great is they're independent thinkers and yeah. and sort of want to do their own thing. And just like farmers and ranchers in general, it's, it's hard to get them all together to sort of work together because they like working on their own. So part yeah. of what makes them who they are is a bit counterintuitive to collaborating. But Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So going back to the point about the the money with the PBR and like it's definitely it's just definitely gone up. They have a lot of mate. They have the major events now that are paying a hundred thousand for one event for the winner. Second place doesn't pay very good, which I disagree with. I think you got to pay. Those guys got to get something to go. Maybe those majors, everybody gets a thousand dollars or more. And I could be not up to date on everything either, but I, I think I think it's got to be spread out a little more. Uh, Ty Murray was on a show was did a show with Flint the other day too. I've listened to both of his shows in the last little bit. But he talked about really incentivizing the guy that wins. But I think they can't starve 34 other guys for one guy to win the big check. But that's just an opinion yeah. I have on that. But but what about the rodeos that are all independent events and, you know, a rodeo that has $3,000 added today that had $3,000 added in 2000? What about yeah. that? Yeah, well, it's an interesting thought anyways. One thought is is that they must be making a bunch of money off cowboys, and that's why they haven't increased the purse. I don't think that's the case. No, they're think, just struggling to get them to even have, have, even have a rodeo. Bang on. Like, I yeah. think w- what it speaks more to is, is you know, maybe we haven't, haven't enhanced the level of entertainment in a way that drives more revenue, right? I'm sure yeah. they'd be willing to share it if, if, if it was bigger. And, you know, therein lies the question, how do we create something that, that's more entertaining or gets a better market share and part of yeah. it too is you know and i i know that uh lots of guys are blazing the trail in this area and and know way more about it than i do but it's uh you know some of these bigger markets like that's what really i think drives these professional teams is these large markets that have a big fan base and uh you know how do we make rodeo somewhat mainstream in that regard pbr's job of it um, uh, I think anyway, how do we sort of do that with rodeo? And I don't know, like, I don't know if it means there's 
seven events at every rodeo or, or if you sort of start breaking them out and, and allowing people that find timed events entertaining gravitate towards that and rough stock the other way i'm not sure but uh <laughs> you know the answer share it with us because yeah, i love to know. see rodeo blow up and oh yeah get really big i think i think part of it is is following that pbr model and, and the and the wcra and what and what a lot of the uh like a lot of the top events and, and what other what the other sports are doing um mm-hmm. you know one of the one of the i don't want to say i don't know if i want to say pitfall or or uh just one of the things that's uh, hindering the growth, I think, is that the CPRA, for example, they only sanction the rodeos. They're in the business of sanctioning. They're not in the business of producing their own events. So it, yeah. a CPRA rodeo in Armstrong doesn't look like a CPRA, a CPRA rodeo in Bruce or in yeah. Benalto or or uh, Hannah or wherever you're going. I think the I think the associations and the PRCA included need to find a way to produce their own events and have a consistent product in more places. I like your idea there. That makes sense. Like essentially you have the PRCA making rules about how rodeos are going to sort of take place. Or they have a team that produces the show. They have a PRCA or CPRA production team that, that produces the shows. I I think it's something that I think, I think it, I think it has to happen to, to keep, to continue uh, the growth. I I think if we don't get together and get these things going, I can get them on the same page that, it, they're all all these committees are slowly gonna evaporate eventually. Unfortunately, like I, I just don't, I don't see people yeah. keeping on the production on or the tradition on their own, really. No, I think you're on to something. Uh, I was just gonna sort of reflect like the way it's been in the past. Like you're saying, essentially you've got the PRCA or the CPRA to uh, dictate all the rules of how it's going to happen. Yeah, and they they just make money through the the sanctioning fee. They have no vested interest in providing great entertainment. They no. do in a roundabout way because if it's good, more, there'll be more rodeos, but not directly. Like what you're saying is, you know, if the PRCA and CPRA had more of a vested interest in how the event sort of, uh, how successful that event was, yeah. not, um, you know, they might change the rules so that it was more accommodating to, to be entertaining. Yeah. They'll make more money. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, and that's like you look at the NHL. An NHL hockey game looks very eerily similar in Philadelphia as it does in Edmonton, as it does in Florida, as it does in Arizona and Texas. Like, it's the same everywhere you go. Where rodeo, it's hor- horrifically different everywhere you go. Yeah. So, and you know, NBA, NHL, uh, Major League Baseball is they have they're a little bit different because they have different fields and whatnot and different size fields, different times. But, but I think it's like it goes back to like McDonald's. If you you're gonna get a a Big Mac's going to be pretty damn similar to a Big Mac you get in anywhere in the world or Subway, yeah. right? Like th- those major companies, it's, sim- it's very similar. It's a consistent product where with Rodeo, we, yeah. don't, we don't know where we're at. So I think yeah. that that production team is, is essential moving forward. Yeah, I like your thought there. I think, but I could be wrong. Who the heck knows? And, and, and what does that look like to get them to actually impose that? But I think it goes back to what you said about about it. It ends up being... If the rodeo wins, the CPRA wins. I think there has to be like a partnership there, where where uh, there's a. It's got to be a partnership in some way. I don't know what that looks like yet, or what the specifics would be, but I think mm. that's the way it's got to go personally. Yeah. Oh, I agree. That makes sense. If they have a vest, oh well, it does. They're gonna find the way, find the way to to make the the best Big Mac and, and yeah. scale it, right? Yeah. Exactly. 
Exactly. Um, I uh, I have enjoyed this chat a lot. It's for those that don't know, this is a second, the part two of the interview uh, with with Kagan here, and uh, and if you don't got anything else, Kagan, I think we'll wrap it up. But I think we kind of covered everything else we wanted to get to. Yeah. No, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Yeah. Talking about rodeo isn't something I get a, <laughs> uh, a lot of chances to do these days, but uh, but it's been enjoyable. Appreciate it. Well, I, I appreciate you doing this and I, I appreciate your insights. I, I think as someone who's done it and been in the business and is now making a living in in, a, in in business, I think it's important for folks like you to to have these conversations and maybe be consulted on what happens. Like I think it could be, uh, I think if we had more of this these ideas and had more of the the working together mentality and and like you said cutting the cutting cutting some overhead we could do a lot more damage so i yeah i appreciate the conversation this was great all right on likewise awesome thanks kagan Tracy's back on the tunes this week. Got a little uh, a little feedback from our editor, Sean Morton, and he's uh, gone classic rock. Can't go wrong with classic rock. Just give the people what they want, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm probably on the highway to hell after the shit I said about the PRCA in the first segment. We're go- we'll go down together. We both, <laughs> said, we both said some shit. It's fine. I wanna th- there's something that I want to talk about with Kagan's interview that was really cool. Um, how the fact that he went back to school to finish his degree while well, he like to have something to fall back on mm-hmm. after rodeo. I think that's, that's, that's a really good example for a lot of people in the rodeo industry now. Oh yeah. And for a guy that made the NFR to go back and yeah. continue his no education. Idea. And then now he's yeah. a partner in a, in a, a MNP. Firm. Yeah. That's sick. Like that's so pretty I, neat. I right? was really, I was, I never knew that part and that was really cool to me. And even like for myself, it was reassuring because that's what you've done. Kind of what I'm doing now. You didn't make the NFR, but you know, I was but a rodeo, a rodeo guy who has something to fall back on. Where yeah. A lot it's of important. A lot of people who I know rodeo don't have that. No, and what are and they doing pro- now? And that's a problem, you know, right? No, no offense to those folks, but maybe they're, you know, maybe it'll help some be not too proud to go back to school, or well, maybe one of those they'll things, think about it more. Yeah, maybe we'll help. It's never too late. It's way. never maybe, too late, right? Yeah, maybe his maybe his interview will help out, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, like he said, one thing he mentioned last night was education is never. Uh, it's not necessary, but it will open more doors for sure. That's that's yeah. kind of my been my argument with people when I talk about school and like how. And I get like university and it's not the end all be all, but the amount of doors and stuff, a uh, degree like that can open like for you. And I think mm-hmm. it, it, one thing too, and then like everybody's there, like been there and like when you're in the moment rodeoing and like that's your life, it's hard yeah. to see outside of that bubble. Oh but, yeah. Like, when you get to the, when you look at, look at it though, like when you retire, when you have it's to a quit, very short, you're part, a, you're small a young part of your still. entire life. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that was, I really liked that part of the interview. That was really cool. Oh yeah. Just wanted to mention that. Well, and we uh, ended up talking a bunch more about about rodeo and the fo- format of the way things are in Canada and how how uh, 
I think that it's essential that rodeo turns the way of the they got to turn the way of the PBR. Everybody, a lot of people shit on the way that the PBR goes and how it's a business, it's too corporate, it's this and that and everything. But they're way the fuck ahead of rodeo. Well, they're setting a standard by far for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry, rodeo, and this has been a shit on rodeo podcast. Well, no, but look, but bit. you look even look at it like, now. Come like, on, the PBR has been the one thing constant through this whole thing. They the have guys a are reason. still going and getting paid. Yeah, they have a reason to still go. Mm-hmm. There's not many rodeos that have a reason to still. There'll go. There'll be rodeos that won't come back from this. Oh, for sure. There'll be for tons sure. of them. Tons. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Like because there's, no, there's no, there's they're volunteers putting on an event mm-hmm. in most places. Some mm-hmm. people have an employee or like a general manager and and whatnot. But like, there's no vested interest. They're, they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, and mm-hmm. that's not business. So yeah, so. yeah. Like I yeah I, I mean I'll back that up for sure. It's I think it's I think rodeos to succeed had to be produced. At a at a higher level, mm-hmm. in many many places, and the conglomeration of a, all these associations for less overhead would also help. Well, prob- um, a problem number too of things, with rodeo that I have that I think, from my standpoint, is it's it's not produced with the fan and at yeah, the forefront of the of the experience. But right, a lot of them aren't even produced. There's you not even I, a yeah, meeting. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. It's like, it, it's not... It, it, we're getting away from the point of the entertainment business that we're supposed to be in. Yeah, exactly. But if the if the associations were you know, companies that were partners with the rodeo venues and and committees and there was a reason to do better at all of them and a vested interest on both sides for them to both have a way to win if things were better, mm-hmm. I think it could go better. And it'd be easier and it'd be a better delivery to your fans. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be easier to attract new fans too. I, I think so. rodeo is really hard to follow well, for, a non, for a non-conventional fan. There's Unless it's like there's just, there's even even on marketing, there every rodeo does their own thing. Mm-hmm. There's no consistent anything. You've mm-hmm. got to have a logo on your thing but who the fuck cares about a logo i, mean, I, agree I don't know 100%. i'm sorry that's, it's that's august we've had a whole year without rodeo and i kind of miss it a little bit but like miss it a lot that's what we do right like i i do like it and i love it i've been this has been what our life well, it's, not, it's not like we're we're like shitting we're like trying to look out for what's best for us so it keeps yeah growing, we're, like. we're passionate we give a shit mm-hmm. so i want to see it get better so oh okay let's get on <laughs> some fun shit here so the real news that people want to hear. Van Keeley Memorial this last weekend. Unreal. That's not it, but whatever. No, but still. <laughs> Big loved <laughs> loved that loved loved that event. If I only I was telling somebody the other day, if I only got to go to one event out every, every year, that's that'd a be that banger one. Banger of an event for yeah, sure. Love it. I I for me, it'd be between year, that one so and cool. the ranchmans. Yeah. I freaking love the ranchmans. Dude. In five years you'll be on a different but it's not even the part. Just the this like the the atmosphere that like, gets you get from the ranchmans. You can't get a lot of it's places. Too, it's it's really super cool. intimate. The crowd's crazy about it. Same thing in in. I didn't even stay on party there last year. So you know what? I'm gonna have to wait five years. In a couple of years, <laughs> it'll be different. Uh, anyways, glad to be at the Glen Keeley. Uh, it was a really emotional night again. Um, mm-hmm. The arena was at the foot of the hill that Glen's buried on, and it was on the Keeley Ranch. They had a rodeo, the the Stavely Stampede in the 1930s across the river from where we were. It was such a cool place, cool. such a historic arena. Oh, and that's the heart of cowboy country. And not Alberta. going back to town after yeah. that. Sorry. It's too cool. Um, another one, Chad had an event, uh, the Alpha Bowl. I think it was just called the Alpha Bowl, powered by 2W or something. At the John Scott Arena. It was really cool. They really did good nice lights. Yeah. The lights were on point there. And I the drove by signs. there on a way to a hike, and I was like, there's something going on here. I set a yeah. bunch of plywood and some yeah. sheets. And Pretty neat. So, yeah, good to have some events back. Uh, Clooney this Friday, another one coming up. Uh, Strathmore, we're having a bull riding on Labor Day weekend on the Saturday. What's with them not giving Lonnie West 90 points? Uh, well, just give him a half a point. I know, right? Two times. Like, we have a two judge weeks. cast stands. Like, what do you guys then, have against 90 points? Yeah. Stop it. I, I, I bear, and Bear, after, he's like, I did that for you, Ted. 
when he told me that or when butter was 90 and a half. I was Good. like, thanks for giving out a freaking 90 finally. He's like, did no that for sh- you, Ted. Oh, shit. Thanks. I appreciate it. Because that there, was awesome. Yeah, there's like... Yeah, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. There's more <laughs> events coming. That's cool. More events coming. Okay. What else we have? That was it, right? You got the thing about... You got their story. You've been so trying to allegedly, get to four times. Allegedly, Ted has signed up to get another dog. Yeah, another wiener dog. And this is big news because when I first moved to this house, Ted was not a dog guy. <laughs> At all, like he was anti-pet. I didn't. I just. I've told you this numerous times, but I didn't want to have a pet here that couldn't like roam wild and and be able I to. I think. And I think there's. I think that's like your. City. You're trying to like save your skin. Man, we had a dog at my house growing up forever. Like I. That's. But that was growing up. This is now. Yeah. The only time I haven't had a dog is when I've been in school in the states and in, in Calgary, like and in New Tell Mexico. Ellie came around. Yeah. True. I but now you're gonna have multiple with dogs a, with the dog. Now we're gonna. And Storm didn't even know about this. I know, but my so my friend Megan uh, Nargang, she worked she worked for Montana Silversmith at one point. Her family actually raises them. And I saw a picture of one. I'm like, hey, you guys actually like raise these? Is I this a hairy wiener you signed up for? Oh yeah, nice, cool. <laughs> Long haired little. So you guys, get a, so you want a female or a male? We haven't decided yet, but I think I think Ellie needs a little like little sister to hang out with. I think I think a little male might be a little ass wipe. I don't know. You would get humpy a leg lot. <laughs> is Ellie is Ellie spade? Yeah. She okay. still humps her leg, and she's a chick. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Weird. She really likes babies. Yeah, just ask Jillian Grant about her baby. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> big news. So you guys have like a little wiener ranch here. <laughs> Wieners and plants. <laughs> the cowboy shit wiener ranch. We <laughs> 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 should probably uh, keep her not spade so we can have a whole little little, uh, little wiener dog farm around here. Little, you have the bit you have the right size fence for it. <laughs> <laughs> They're not gonna get out. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the thing about what's the uh, thing about shoot low they're riding Shetlands oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> is that Blazing Saddles I think so something like that what movie is it <sighs> made a song about it yeah <laughs> oh fucking oh, funny <laughs> so that's the that's the news that people wanted to hear for sure oh gosh but what merch we got stocked it back up on some merch hey <sighs> yeah we got a bunch of new stuff coming like next week on September 2nd so Mark your calendars. Hound the hound the website. We got the Christmas line coming out. We're gonna leak it out. Christmas line. Christmas. Uh, the line's coming out. We're gonna have it in more stores. We've got Mawson's in North Battleford coming online uh, very soon. We're shipping it out here. Quick. Uh, we got it in Cowboy Country, Nanton, Western Stockman, and Lethbridge. Uh, Irvin's is on the way. Nice. By Crossfield. Uh, anybody else? If you got a store, you wanna sell the stuff? Canada, U.S. We're working uh, on uh, on getting it into the U.S. as well. Nice. So. Give the people what they want. Check it out. Cowboyshit.ca. Hook us up. We're done. I don't know. Did you have something else? Oh, I was going to give you, I was going to say we should do a Stanley Cup prediction with our, the last eight teams are in it. Or yeah, go we... ahead. Get your song ready. Then we'll, then we'll make a plan. Um, did I, did I say Tampa Bay a while back? Am I still, I think you did. Am I still good with Tampa Bay? Yeah. My I think pick I had Tampa is... and who's my other side? Tampa, it wasn't Tampa Vegas. I don't think I was trying Tampa, to Colorado. I don't remember. Maybe you said St. Louis. I don't know. Anyways, my pick for the cup right now is Vegas. They're a scary team, man. Vegas? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Colorado just had a goalie injury. I don't think they're going to be Their backup's good. Frank Cruz is good. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, I just... Yeah. Dallas, I don't think so. Whoever uh, runs into the, the, whoever runs into Vegas is in trouble. Cool that Vancouver made it through to the second round. Tough to get Vegas. Uh, Philly, New York. The New York Islanders, hey? They're a sleeper well. team, man, for uh, sure. Boston winning without Rask. Well, I'll have to talk to um, Felisco. Yeah, about we'll probably it. better do that while they're still in. 
Hopefully they win. If they keep going, we got we'll to might have to bump them up. We should probably just put them on one of next, the next ones. The next one, yeah. Okay. Anyways, that's a new, that's it. Okay. I'm okay. good now. All right. Get through merch. Cowboyshit.ca. Thanks for listening. This has been episode 72. Thanks to our guest, Kagan Syrett, co-host, Wacey Anderson, myself, I'm Ted Stoven, our editor, Sean Morton. Thank you all for the help. Our graphics and our web designer, Storm Defoe. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. It's been Cowboy Shit.